We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. to a Thursday edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is April 27th. We are nearing the end of round one of the NBA playoffs. I am Nick Whalen, joined as always by Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we may also be nearing the end of Mike Budenholzer's tenure as head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And I got to be honest, man, I, I think I'd be okay with that at this point. Uh, I, yes, I would be okay with that as well. I was kind of at that place before the Bucks won the title. And I think, um, you know, it doesn't entirely fall on him what happened in the series, but I think they're, they're, a lot of it falls on him for sure. Yeah, man, it, it, there's a lot of blame to be spread around. Uh, I, mean, I mean, one of my favorite things, usually I don't like doing this when I have to talk about the teams that, that I, I live and die by, uh, one of those being the Milwaukee Bucks. But I, I do love, you know, as a, an NBA analyst, you and I are, are both that professionally. I like to try to contextualize things like this when they happen and where does this come in in terms of like all time collapses because I'm sure you know we're less than 24 hours removed you know maybe a week from now we'll feel differently but I mean it's it's really difficult to come up with back-to-back games where you know a a team especially a team as heavily favored as Milwaukee blows double-digit fourth quarter leads I mean last night was that's as bad as you're ever going to see in the NBA yes um game four I think didn't feel as bad partially because I think some of it was like, you know, drew and Giannis made some, just like they kind of fumbled the ball away on a couple of possessions. And it's like, that's kind of stuff you can live with. Like some kind they lose possession game five felt so bad because they, you know, the game was close throughout most of it. And then the bucks went on this like really strong six minute stretch where it's like, where the hell was this team? The entire series, like they looked Mm -hmm. dominant for six minutes. The heat were raggled. The bucks were, we're clicking on offense. And then all of a sudden they just fell back into all their bad habits offensively. Um, and I, again, part of it is I, they, they had no answers for Jimmy Butler, which can 
continues to confuse me. I mean, there's there's so many things you can point to. It's just Bugenholzer as a coach, like his lack of adjustments. It's almost like he has amnesia sometimes about what happened the game before, what happened the quarter before, and does not. He just it's it's hard to believe. We know he's not an in-game adjustments guy. He, he's stood by that his entire career. He, he also just doesn't seem to be a game-to-game adjustments guy either. Um, no. yeah, I mean, Drew Holiday, bless his heart, man. He's, he's the best you know guard defender in the league. I, I don't think this series changes that, but he was getting abused by Jimmy Butler. I mean, game four was an all-timer by Butler. Game five, I mean, you saw Butler barking at Drew Holiday in the second half. Drew Holiday could not guard him, and they didn't try anything else. You know, They, they didn't try Jay Crowder. Like, right. Is it the reason that you traded for Jay Crowder to guard Jimmy Butler? to guard Jason Tatum, to guard Jalen Brown in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, they dusted him off a little bit. Crowder didn't even play at all in game four. Uh, but, but you know, one thing that I, I kind of found myself thinking after this game was, you know, Milwaukee built this super deep roster. You know, they go 10, 11, almost 12 deep at times with guys that you feel good about, you know, all the way down to like Javon Carter. And, you know, they add Myers Leonard and Goran Dragic. Like, yeah, great, great pickup there. Um, does it matter in the playoffs? Does it matter? Like, it's great to have all that depth in the regular season, but... I, in retrospect, I would now trade all of that depth for a higher end third or fourth scoring option. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, I think part of the Bucks' problem with their bench, like I think we'd like all these guys individually, but they don't have a ton of different looks they can go to. It doesn't feel like a very versatile bench. It's still a little undersized with the guys that you do trust. Um and a lot of these guys are kind of like one-dimensional offensive players and liabilities on defense are the other way around. Um, but it's funny because, I mean, the Heat's bench is not good either. Like, I, I like you're, you're getting torched by Duncan Robinson and Caleb Martin and, you know, like Kyle Lowry only plays 18 minutes in this game. And if it's like if you can get those contributions out of, out of guys, why are the Bucs not able to get similarly impactful contributions off guys off their bench? Yeah, a puzzling, puzzling series. I, I think, you know, this was one of the worst coach series that I can remember. Um, I, I think looking back, you know, the, the the title, I think, bought Bud some time that maybe he didn't deserve. Um, and you, you look back now, this is this is five seasons for Coach Bud in Milwaukee. First season, they blow the 2-0 lead to Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals. They lose four straight. Second season, that devastating round two loss to Miami as the one seed. They lost that series in five games. Third season, they win the title. Okay, great. You get the ring. That's a big deal. Last year, you lose to Boston. To me, that's excusable because Chris Middleton was hurt. Still almost won the series. That was fine. And now this year, you take you know one of the most shocking, uh, inexcusable losses in NBA history as the top overall seed in the playoffs, again to Miami and again in five games. Uh, so you have, you have one ring, and then you have three outright disasters, and then one season that, that to me is kind of a throwaway given the Middleton injury last year. Well, yeah, uh, winning the title is hard, uh, it turns out. Um, but it does feel like this roster could have could have one more title. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think to me, this this was the ultimate, like, ultimate example of Coach Bugenholzer's failures as an in-game coach and why Eric Spolstra continues to be regarded as one of the best coaches in NBA history at this point. Um, with all he's done with with multiple different rosters, uh, one of the best in game adjusters, one of the best experimenters um, in game uh, that we have, and it's just it's so confusing. I mean, this is even putting aside like Coach Bugenholzer not calling a timeout uh, at the end of regulation, not calling a timeout 
uh, at the end of overtime. Preposterous. Um, I just uh, preposterous. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. It just doesn't even make sense. I I don't understand. Well, you, so sorry to cut you off. But did you see no, the Max Drews quote? He was on the he was on the Levertard show like the local hour this morning, and he said so. I mean, in defense, I think there were what 0.5 seconds left after Butler yeah. you know, hit that fall away tip in. So it's not like you're you expect to get a great shot. But the Bucks had two timeouts. They didn't take it. They didn't even get a shot off. Like Giannis didn't even didn't even attempt to heave. Good good call there, preserving the three point percentage. Right. But Struess uh, on Levitard said, "Yeah, we came back to the huddle preparing for overtime, and Spo was laughing, saying they had two timeouts. Why do they not call a timeout? Like the other team is openly commenting on your coaching between the fourth quarter and overtime. Like that's how bad it was. Yeah, and this is not a situation where the Bucks don't have a lob guy. Like you have half a second left." Your play is presumably just like, let's try to get a lob to somebody. You have Giannis and you have Lopez and even Portis can kind of get up. Um, so like that's that's completely baffling. And yeah, Giannis not taking a shot there. I was like, what? Like, what? I just launch it. Um, but even more so like game four before the collapse, um, the Bucks were just absolutely abusing these Giannis ball handler, Brooke Lopez pick and rolls that... Miami had no answer for Lopez scores. What? 32. If I remember correctly. And, and then they just completely abandon it in this game. And then in this individual game, uh, they spend, I don't remember when they started doing it, but at some point in this game, middle of the game, they start mismatch hunting. Like they get, they get like Struess on Giannis in the post or Gabe Vincent on Lopez in the post. And Lopez and Giannis are just, they're drawing double teams. They're bullying whoever's in front of them. And and they're getting easy layups or easy kickouts for three. And then late in the game, they just completely stopped a mismatch hunting to go to the post, even though that's what was working in the game. And then it just devolved into a bunch of guys in the Bucks jacking up contested threes. And Giannis seeing Bam Adebayo and going like, yeah, let's take him one-on-one instead of trying to set a screen or literally do anything on offense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. We we saw the we saw like the greatest three of nineteen game of all time by Russell Westbrook early in these playoffs. I, I think this might have been like the worst thirty eight twenty game of all time yes. by Giannis. I Absolutely. mean, he was he was not good. He was not good in this no. game. And again, the counting stats are going to say he had a monster performance. And yeah, you know, I mean, he turned it on a little bit. Had some big buckets uh, in overtime that kept them in it. But seven turnovers. I mean, some really really bad turnovers that led directly to baskets. Ten of twenty three at the line. And the thing that stuck out to me most, and one of these almost turned into a turnover that would have lost the game in regulation. Oh, Giannis God. did not want the ball. Like, did not want the ball. He was going out of his way, basically playing hot potato. And at one point threw the ball basically out of bounds. And luckily Chris Middleton had to dive into the scores table just to save the ball and give the Bucks possession. Of course, Drew holiday then misses a free throw, but Giannis wanted no part of that ball, no part of it. He, Cause if he's going to the line, he knew he was missing at least one. He was a, <sighs> Man, Giannis was a liability for a lot of the game. I hate to say it. Like, there were two stretches of the game. It may, maybe was the only two stretches of the game where Giannis sat out because he played 42 minutes, where I thought the Bucks offense looked way, way better when he was not out there. And um, again, when he was out there and he was abusing mismatches, he looked great. And then he started trying to go iso ball against Bam Adebayo. He was taking... It's weird because he was taking... So he's scared to shoot the free throw but he took like multiple semi-contested 14 foot yep. jumpers with the game on the line. Like really bad. What is that about early in the shot clock? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Michael Gallagher, who, who does some work for the Action Network, tweeted out the the Bucks' offensive and defensive ratings in the fourth quarter oh of these games. Uh, they actually had a 126 offensive rating somehow. Uh, oh, wait, no, I'm looking at the wrong game. Sorry, that was game one. Game one, they had a 126 offensive rating. Can you guess what Milwaukee's offensive rating was uh, in game five last night? In the fourth quarter? In the fourth quarter. Um, I, I don't know, 46? <laughs> 59. 59.3. Uh, with a defensive rating of 123.1 for a net rating of minus 64. Uh, pretty rough. They, they had a 92.6 offensive rating in game four in the fourth quarter, an 87 offensive rating in the fourth quarter of game three, and an 80.0 offensive rating in the fourth quarter of game two, which they won. Uh, I mean, just a, an unbelievable collapse. And you know, you, you kind of contrasted this with game four, which was another unbelievable collapse. But yeah. There's something to it happening on the road versus at home. You know, like when Jimmy right. Butler got rolling, the crowd gets into it. You know, they, they had that weird play where Giannis got stripped at half court. I think he thought he wasn't expecting to be contested when he was calling a timeout. You know, there's like a, a dog pile and all of a sudden Jimmy Butler is leaking out for a dunk. Like the crowd's into it. You're like, all right, here we go. This is kind of how it's supposed to go when you're on the road. But to see this happen at home, man, I mean, just unbelievable stuff by the Bucks. I mean, this is this is a truly franchise-altering loss. I mean, it, it might cost Mike yeah. Budenholzer his job. It might cross Chris Middleton an extension. Uh, they have a big decision to make with Brooke Lopez. I mean, suddenly you, you look at this roster, and we felt so good about it all year, and it just doesn't look that great. Don't forgive me for I don't remember who made this point. Someone compared it to I think there was a really bad uh, like uh, Dirk Nowitzki Maverick season where yep. they like retooled oh, big Mavericks. time. Yes, yep. um, could be like that situation. But yeah, I you're think right. I mean, for what it's worth, I think that's the closest comparison by far. I think it's it's very very similar to that situation. Um, game four felt like Jimmy Butler. You you mentioned it at home. It just felt like he caught fire and was just kind of like in a different zone. In this game, in game five, it felt like he fundamentally understood the Bucks roster and game plan more than Mike Budenholzer did. Yep, like he just understood completely everything like how to get in every little seam in the Bucks defense, how to take advantage of individual defenders, everything like that. And I, I just cannot believe, I don't remember seeing a single double team on Butler throughout this entire series. Maybe it happened, or at least in these past two games, at least not a hard double team. And I just don't get why, why not try that for, I don't know, a quarter, half a quarter, like one possession, any, like one possession. Cause who's he passing yeah, to? And like guys are getting open shots anyway. Yep. It's, it's, it's un, inexcusable. Yeah. I, I thought defensively that it was the Bucks biggest issue throughout the series. Um, you know, obviously the offense came and went and, you know, Giannis basically missing three games. I don't, I don't think we could just gloss over that. Uh, they're, they're probably not in that three, one hole. If, if, if Giannis plays uh, the first three, but it, it is what it is. These breaks happen throughout the series. He came back and he looked basically like himself these last two games, and you lost both. So you don't really have a, a leg to stand on there if you're Milwaukee. The NBA regular season has come and gone, which means it's time for a new way to play daily fantasy basketball for the playoffs. Rival Fantasy is the fantasy platform reinventing the way daily and weekly games are played, and they've brought three new games to the ballpark this year that fantasy players won't find anywhere else. With unique games like Fantasy Bingo, head-to-head player challenges, and over-unders in Fantasy Book. Daily Fantasy has never been better. Right now, Rotowire listeners can get a $50 protected first play. That means if you win your first play, you keep your winnings. But if you lose your first entry, Rival Fantasy will fully refund you up to 50 bucks. Go to play.rivalfantasy.com slash sign up. 
Again, that's play.rivalfantasy.com slash sign up and use our code ROTOWIRENBA, all one word, ROTOWIRENBA. Use that at sign up and deposit a minimum of $25 to get your first entry on Rival protected up to $50. Now's the time to step onto the court and become a rival today. Welcome to the arena. One of the plays that stood out on defense was a, it was actually a miss by Jimmy Butler. It was late in the fourth quarter. Uh, Heat were down two. Uh, this was before it looked like Milwaukee was about to seal it up. They're down two, coming out of a timeout. And you know, Drew Holiday gets screened on the wing by, I think, Bam Adebayo, or whoever, basically whoever Brooke Lopez was guarding. And Lopez doesn't show on Jimmy Butler and gives Jimmy Butler a wide-open three from the wing. Did, didn't even get his hands up. You know, He's playing basically drop, like kind of half-drop coverage yeah. on the wing. I, I assume that was the call. It's coming out of a timeout. It's a smart defender, Brooke Lopez. Like that was just so emblematic of this entire series. And if they, at that time, you're like exhaling, thinking, "Wow, I can't believe he missed that." They're so lucky. How do you give him that look in that spot? I mean, it was, it was that's how the Bucks defense felt the entire series. Well, I mean, that's the Bucks scheme: drop Lopez. It 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 really kills them. Some games, other games, it doesn't. Um, I, I get. I mean. I don't think they trust Lopez to press up because Butler's going to drive. But then at some point, you just have to trust your help defense. You're up too. Yeah, right. You have to trust your help defense. You have to say, well, Lopez pushes up, prevents the three. Butler drives. Someone helps. It's a a little bit of a scramble. But this is why, you know, like we have – you have decent wing defenders who can scramble. Um, Goal goal number one in that scenario is don't let the guy shooting 60% who just put up 56 on you in the last game get a wide open look from three. You, If Jimmy Butler blows by Brooke Lopez for the game tying layup and there's still time for you to go get another shot, that's okay in that scenario. That's not the worst case scenario. The one thing you can't do is give up that open three. I, I just I could not believe that out of a timeout. And then, I mean, the other one of like seven coaching blunders by Bud down the stretch was not having a big man on the court to defend oh the rim in a, situ- in a situation where the number one thing they're looking to do is lob it at the rim. And who's there? It's Pat Connaughton and it's Drew Holiday who just had another nightmare defensive night. I can't I can't prove this because nobody was in my apartment with me. I didn't say it to anybody. I didn't tweet it. But my first thought when I saw the Heat pull out this small lineup and, and Bud subs out Lopez, my first thought was, oh, my God. Spolstra knows that that bug is going to do this and he's going to throw it to yep. the rim. That was my first thought. I can't prove it to anybody. And that's exactly what happened. And I have to give credit. We, I mean, ridiculous shot by Jimmy Butler. And I wasn't even Extremely shocked. Numb. Like it, it, the thing is I was at that point, I was just so numb to it. Butler made it. And I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> that's what he does. Yeah. No, I, I, you're so right. I felt that way too. And I, I guess I, I didn't even realize how crazy of a shot it was until you see the replay. I mean, he's at like a 60 degree angle throwing that thing up and didn't even hit rim. Like he basically swished it falling to the ground. Uh, so you do have to give Butler some credit there. I mean, I, I think if anything, Milwaukee was lucky that they didn't get hit with a foul. Uh, just it kind of looked yeah. like a foul. I don't think it was, if anything, maybe Butler pushed off. Uh, but you know, when, when a guy's going to the ground in that situation, you never know, uh, you know, the, the Giannis foul on Struis, Oh my another God. just, unbelievable play. I mean, that was, that just kind of capped it off when it was like, man, it's just, it's just not Giannis's night. It's not Giannis's series, even though the numbers look okay. Uh, you know, the one thing I will say in defense of Milwaukee, I mean, this was five straight games of just fire shooting by the heat. It, it, they never cooled off at any point that they cool off in the series, even in the game that they lost, they shot 40 plus percent game five, when it felt like they were hitting everything. Kevin Love has five, three pointers. Gabe Vincent's hitting huge threes. You know, Butler had three threes. This was their worst shooting game of the series, and they hit 17 threes and shot 38%. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because I, I I didn't feel like a lot of these looks were super heavily contested. 
Like it didn't feel like, oh, the Heat are making these like insane, complete luck threes all the time. A lot of these are just open, but I agree with you. I mean, this team shooting 45% from three in the series when they were a team, I mean, they were what, one of the worst three-point shooting teams? They were middle of the pack this year, 17th. They were, no, uh, they, I think they were lower than that. Weren't they like 27th? Oh, in percentage. Yeah, sorry. 17th yeah. total makes. They jacked them up, but they didn't make them very well. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's part of it. But I don't, honestly, I that to me does not feel like the reason the Bucks lost the series. As hot as the Heat got and how much of an outlier it yeah. is, that is not what I'm going to remember. And that's not what I think broke this series open. I think you're right. I, um, you know, every now and then there was one that you're like, wow, okay, I, I can't believe he hit that. You know, even like the Gabe Vincent pull up at the end that essentially ended up sinking the Bucks. You know, if he misses that and the Bucks get the rebound, the game's over. Um, so there, there were a few of those sprinkled in, but no, for the most part, you're right. It's okay. Why is Kevin Love wide open? Why is why is Duncan Robinson wide open at the top of the key after an offensive rebound? Um, you know, they 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 shot above their level, but. Yeah, I'm just kind of picturing the Bucks being like, well, eventually they'll stop making them. And they said that after game two and then game three and then game four and then game five. Like instead of saying, let's prevent them from making them, I, it almost felt like the Bucks just kept chanting it on the percentages. Well, it's funny because it's like if you're leaving these guys open anyway, not just why not just double Butler? Because when you double a guy, it's like, yeah. well, it's going to ping ping around and someone's going to get an open three. It's like you're getting an open three anyway. Like and and Butler's putting up 90 He's basically putting up a hundred points on you in two games. Yeah, so bizarre. I mean, we could we could go in circles on this forever. I mean, Miami, I think, put up close to a, a 120 offensive rating for the series. Yeah, 119.4. Uh, the Bucks were around 111 defensive rate, excuse me, during the regular season. Uh, Miami had a 113 offensive rating during the regular season. They were the sixth worst offense in the league uh, and basically became the best offense in the league for this entire series. But uh, credit to the Heat, for sure. Uh, Heat-Knicks is going to be a really, really fun second-round series. Uh, yeah, obviously, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to take some time, I, I think, for this one. We've, if, if any, like, worst of all, we've been robbed of, like, what I thought would be six weeks of, like, all right, we're hanging out, we're watching the game, we're, we're getting drinks, we're going downtown. Like, that's just all out the window. <laughs> we, it, it didn't even get warm here in Milwaukee. We didn't even get, like, one fun playoff game to watch. No, I just... I. <laughs> There's so much free time now. That's completely unexpected. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's unbelievable. Well, we might get to this. I was going to ask you, the Heat versus the Knicks, do you feel like, like after what you saw the Knicks do, the Bucks? do you feel like you favor them in this upcoming series? Or have you not thought favor about the it Heat that much over yet? The yeah. Total toss-up to me. And part of that is the Julius Randle injury, you know, limping out of that game last night with an ankle injury. He'd already been dealing with that coming in. Um, you know, Randall looked awful for the bulk of that series. And if that ankle's bothering him to me, that's a big enough factor. Like the Knicks have other guys, you know, RJ Barrett played pretty well. Obviously Jalen Brunson has been a machine, but I, I don't know that you're getting past Miami with, with Julius Randall, like either missing part of the series or shooting 30% like he did in round one. Uh, so I, I kind of need to see that variable first. I will say, uh, the Knicks are favored to win the series slightly, minus 145 at the DraftKings Sportsbook. And they also have home court advantage, too. I mean, that, that's that's the big thing. It's like the Knicks have not had home court advantage in any series since, what, I think like the year they were the two seed with Melo. Uh, so that's big. I mean, get, I, I don't feel like New York is losing both of these games at home to begin the series. Like that that seems that, – that those crowds are going to be nuts. Like it, this is also the first time in forever that 
the Knicks aren't going into the playoffs just with like house money. And it's like, oh, that'd be cool if we won a game or two <laughs> off of this one or two seed. It's like all of a sudden, like the Eastern Conference Finals is very much in play. Like the Knicks are favored to make the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I am. Um, they are. And I, I asked you because I was trying to figure it out myself. I partially think that both of these teams got through. They got through on their own merit, but I also feel like the opposing teams underperformed partially with some bad coaching. Um, and so it was kind of a debate to me because we'll get into this, but I felt like Mitchell Robinson completely dominated the Cavaliers. I don't think he's going to do the same thing to the heat. On the other hand, I think Julius Randle played so poorly because he had to deal with Evan Mobley most of the game. And now he doesn't really have that kind of defensive player in front of him uh, in Miami. So I think this will be a rock fight. I think this will be a great coaching matchup. Um, I'm not sure who I would favor. I mean, <laughs> given what we just saw, I mean, you can make an argument for the heat, but the Knicks, I think the Knicks should be favored. I'll, I'll finish with that. Yeah. I mean, they were the better team. They were the better team all throughout the year. I mean, there's a reason that the Bucks were 12 point favorites last night. There's a reason that the Bucks were like almost favored to win the series, even after they fell down three, one, like there's, there's, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that the heat are not good. You know, and I, I think at some point uh, we expect that they'll turn into the team that they've been for 95% of the season instead of these last five games. And look, I mean, Tyler Hero's not coming back, too. I think that's huge. Yeah, the Tyler Hero factor. That makes that makes it even worse for the Bucs. It's, it's almost swept under the rug that Tyler Hero basically did not play in this series. Yeah, that makes it worse. It makes it significantly worse. And, you know, I saw, I saw a take that it's like, you know, in a roundabout way, did that make Miami better because it just meant more Jimmy Butler uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe in game four, but I, I don't think the Heat would tell you that. I think they'd prefer to have a 20-point <laughs> scorer in the yes. lineup. Um, and yeah, at some point, it feels like they're going to they're, they're gonna feel that absence. I think it's going to be very interesting to see the contrast between how the Knicks defend Miami and how the Bucks defend Miami. Because I, I don't I don't think Miami's going to be putting up 120 every single night on this Knicks defense like they did uh, to, to Coach Bud. No, I agree. If there's one thing uh, Tom Thibodeau knows, it's defense. So <laughs> I think I think it will definitely uh, it'll definitely regress a bit for Miami. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's talk Knicks-Cavs. Uh, man, I, I think, if, if anything, the Cavs are kind of lucky that Milwaukee is taking the fall here because it, had that not happened, I feel like Cleveland would go down as the, the biggest disappointment in round one. I mean, this was this was viewed as close to a 50-50 series. I like the Cavs. I, I saw this maybe 60-40 in their favor, partially because they had the home court. I thought they had the best yeah. player in the series in, in Donovan Mitchell. Uh, but I, I think it was quickly proven that Jalen Brunson is probably the best player in the series. I mean, just a really kind of, kind of disgusting effort by the Cavs from start to finish. I mean, this, yeah, it, it was just a, just an ugly, gross series. I mean, they, they scored 79 points in game three, Alex. That, that says it all. It does. Um, I, w- I was with you. I thought the Cavs were going to win this series. I thought they were going to win uh, game five. I was, I felt pretty confident, honestly. Um, but uh, the the Knicks, the Knicks out, uh, they outplayed the Cavs in every aspect that just wasn't pure shot making. And honestly, the shot making from the Knicks wasn't that much worse than than the Cavs. Like because you have Donovan Mitchell shooting forty three percent for the field, Garland shooting forty three percent for the field, and trying to get offense consistent offense on anybody else in the Cavs was uh, as much of a nightmare as as anybody trying to generate offense on on New York. Um, and then the, the way Mitchell Robinson dominated the series is unbelievable. I mean, I, I, when I was watching game four, I, I noticed like, I, I started, I felt like I started noticing the way Robinson was getting these offensive rebounds more. And so I went back and I was like trying to figure out who was at fault for these offensive rebounds. Cause he had Robinson had 29 offensive rebounds in this series and he played just 28 minutes a game. I mean, the Knicks were offensive rebounding 35% of their own misses. It's ridiculous. Um, and without going on too much of like a, of a tangent, so much of this was just Jared Allen falling asleep time after time. Like, complete nonsense. Like, he's half-contesting shots. He's, like, floating out of the paint on wide-open shots from opponents. He's just not... Like, it's it's so confusing. Like, his... His sort of like box out slash defensive IQ in this series was uh, unbelievably low. And I don't know how much of that is just Allen or how much of that was J.B. Bickerstaff because J.B. Bickerstaff could tell uh, Jared Allen, hey, you got to stop doing these particular things to give up offensive rebounds to Mitchell Robinson. But what's he going to do? Pull Jared Allen? He has no other options. Yeah, I I think the... The Cavs front court exposed first and foremost. Uh, you, know, you, you did a good thread on Twitter of, of some of those plays, and I mean, it's you're not cherry picking here. I mean, these are all pretty egregious. Um, some of them, you, you just kind of wonder what's going on there. Uh, I mean, the Knicks were a good offensive rebounding team uh, during the regular season, twenty eight percent. But still, I mean, this you would think Cleveland is like the one team that would be very resistant to that. You have to, there, not many teams played two true big men anymore, so you'd think they'd be well equipped to stop it, and it, it went the complete other way. Uh, pop quiz, by the way, do you know which team led the league in offensive rebounding rate? Oh, wow. Uh, is it still the Grizzlies? The Houston Rockets, baby. 30.2%. Oh, my God. 
How is that? Is that all Shea Goon? Uh, maybe some KJ Martin. Uh, I did yeah. notice that towards the end of the year when we were writing up like our, our best bet stuff and I was checking in on like recent rebounding rates and I was like, when did the Rockets suddenly become like a top five rebounding team? Yeah, they. I mean, they're they're not a good defensive rebounding team, bottom half of the league, but number one pretty easily in offensive rebounding. Uh, the, the other thing with the Cavs outside of the big men was, you know, they basically needed Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland to give them like 70 points combined in each game, and that just didn't really happen. Uh, because they have no bench. They have no bench. And you know, the one game that they won in this series was the only game where Karis LeVert played well. I don't really think that's a coincidence. And, you know, <laughs> they, they've been cycling through guys at the at the three spot for the last five years now. And they, they just haven't found that. You know, like Isaac Okoro, not that guy. Dean Wade, Jetty Osman, LeVert. Like, they have, they have all these, like, Lamar Stevens was seeing minutes yesterday. Uh, they, they badly, badly, badly need to upgrade that spot. They do. Um not going to be an easy spot to upgrade, though, with the money you have to pay these top four yeah. guys. It's just going to be really tough for them. But they need to they need to get someone else in there. I, I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it was. Um, you know, I thought each of those guys brought something different to the table that you could kind of lean on. But they their their weaknesses were just far too far too much. And it kind of it kind of exposed them. And like as as well as they played during the regular season on offense, Having those two non-spacing bigs really does complicate things against a team that is particularly game planning for it. Kind of just bad luck the, on the Okoro pick, by the way. I mean, it's, it's not a bad pick. Like, he's, I, I don't think he's very good. It kind of feels like he's going down, like, you know, someday he'll, he'll be like Tory Craig or something like that. Like, he can, he can right. D up. He's super athletic. You know, maybe the shooting comes around, whatever. But uh, obviously, he's not going to be a star. He took him fifth overall. But it was just a weird draft. It's like, you know, Anyeka Kongwu went with the next pick. I love him, but you know, given the roster construction for the Cavs, that didn't really make all that much sense. Um, you know, then it's Killian Hayes, Obi Toppin, Denny Avdia, Jalen Smith, Devin Vassell. Um, it's like, I, I guess they should have taken Vassell or they should have taken Tyrese Halliburton, but nobody was clamoring for that on draft night. Like they, it's just one of those drafts where uh, you have the fifth pick in what was essentially a three player draft at the time uh, with Edwards, Wiseman and LaBello. Yeah. Coro, I think is going to just end up being a specialist which is okay. He just needs to be able to knock down threes. And I don't know if he's ever going to, if he's ever going to get there. I mean, he was, he's over the past two seasons, he is uh 36% on two threes a game, but they're, they're completely wide open. You know, he's just not, mm-hmm. um, cannot make a contested three. And he shot 31% in the series on two and a half attempts a game in 15 minutes. Um, there's just not, he's kind of a man without a country position wise, role wise, um, and was not able to get it done in this series. I don't think the plan was for him to play 15 minutes a game in a five-game series. You know, somebody that, again, you took with the fifth overall pick. Even if it was a bad draft, it, it's still a top-five pick, and you're expecting more out of that. And look, if you're going to be that specialist, like, that could work. We've seen it work for a ton of guys. Like, you don't have to be this knockdown shooter. you got to be a threat, and at least Okoro is willing to shoot. He, I, I know during the regular season, he, like, led the league in percentage of his looks that were wide open for a good <laughs> yeah. reason. If, if you're going to be that guy, you have to be you have to be one of the five best defenders in the league on the wing. You, know, you, you can't just be a good defender. Like you have to be you have to be earning your keep on defense. And I don't know if he's quite at that level. No, and and the thing is on offense, some of these guys like Jared Vanderbilt types, other guys at the wing who I just I'm not thinking of right now, they can survive because they become really good cutters, right? Their defender turns their head, they backdoor cut. Um, they're good in transition off of cuts. But the problem is Okoro has nowhere to cut. Because two guys in front of him, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, are just standing in the paint. So he's like, he can't do anything 
in that respect either. So I think in, in other team contexts, like if he was on a team with a floor spacing five, um, I think he would look a lot better offensively, but he's, he's a little limited given the guys around him. Yeah. It's actually kind of ironic. Like Donovan Mitchell gets away from Rudy Gobert and now he's like in the same situation yes. with two big men who can't really do anything, but clog the lane up. Uh, yeah. Tough series overall for Mitchell. Uh, you know, fantastic regular season might be a first team all NBA guy. Uh, obviously this doesn't really change the player that he is, but 28, seven and five last night, that looks okay. But 11 of 26 from the field, three of 12 from three in, in the game where they desperately needed him. And the last thing I'll say about this series, and you mentioned it kind of at the, at the beginning, the Knicks didn't even play well. <laughs> they did not play well. They rebounded really well. They had some timely buckets in the fourth quarter of these games. But I mean, even last night, they, they win this game by 11, shooting 43% from the field and going nine of 29 from three. Yeah, um, but this is exactly who the Knicks want to be, right? They want to be the grinding out team that wins the possession game and plays more physical than you. And um, they did it. <laughs> All right, let's go uh, Warriors-Kings, and then we'll finish out with Lakers-Grizz and, and get the heck out of here. Uh, you know, you and I were split on this one last night when we did the, the Rotowire NBA show, yeah. uh, which you can hear Monday through Friday on SiriusXM NBA Radio Channel 86. We'll be on... Uh, tonight, actually, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. So if you're listening to this, make sure you check us out. We'll be on tomorrow as well. Uh, I was on Golden State. You were on the on the Kings. Look, I don't think you were wrong because you know, I, I think your prediction was heavily based on the fact that not only is De'Aaron Fox going to play, but he's going to play well. And once again, it kind of felt like for most of this game, he was really the only Kings player who showed up. Uh, you know, Sabonis ended up having his best game of the series. Malik Monk had a great fourth quarter, uh, but but it was too little too late. Fox kind of fell apart in the second half. Um, he's really good in the first half, and he hit a couple threes early, and then turnovers started piling up. Um, you know, ironically, you asked me on the show if uh, if you if you're fading Darren Fox, who are you who are you banking on a big game from? When I said Malik Monk, and he had 21 points on 14 shots, he had a big game anyway. Um, but yeah, the continued the continued just nothing from Kevin Herter. Um, Harrison Barnes goes 0 of 2 from 3 uh, as a team again the Kings shoot 29% from distance that's tough um, and they weren't able to contain Curry and part of the problem is they weren't able to contain Curry who only made two three-pointers I mean I think I, I don't know I mean people say this all I, I'm not like breaking new ground here but Curry's ability to drive the lane and get uh, layups uh like high floating layups off the glass, partial contact is incredible. And he was doing that through a lot of this game. And um, it was, it was awesome. And we can't understate how, how good of a job Looney and Draymond continue to do on Sabonis. Although Sabonis had a very good game last night. Yeah. Easily Sabonis, the best game of the series. Um, Wasn't quite enough. I mean, I, I thought Sacramento battled back like six different times. You felt like, all right, the Warriors are up seven. This is this is going to be it. Like if they hit one more shot, that's probably curtains for the Kings. And every time they found a way to get it back to a one possession game, and they just could not get over the hump. Um, and Malik Bunk was fantastic in the second half of this yeah. game. Like right when Fox cooled off, it felt like you know I, I had this going on the second TV. Um, you know, with, with with the sound on, you know, Milwaukee, Miami. Every time I'm looking up. Malik Monk is like driving into a crowd and getting free throws. Yeah, you know, his ability really, to hang in the air, draw contact. I was just gonna say, yeah, he's really good. He's he's incredible. I mean, he he didn't get really any six man of the year buzz, not like seriously, but he I think he could have. Yeah, man, he's he's awesome. And I, I think two years ago, like he was kind of on the like 
Josh Jackson track. Like he had yes. some legal issues. You're like, is this guy even going to be in the league a couple of years from now? And I mean, now he's, he's well on his way, I think to getting a pretty nice contract. And there's gonna be a lot of teams that are interested uh, in bringing him in either as like a, a fifth starter or a six man. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's been amazing. Uh, so cool to see him and Fox back together, you know, from their Kentucky days. Uh, you know, Keegan Murray ended up getting hurt late in this game. He played okay before that knocked down both of his three point attempts. Uh, but really, I mean, Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter are just killing the Kings. They are killing the Kings in this series. Th- those guys cannot hit an open shot. It was another uh, you know, really rough night for both of those guys for the series. Now, Kevin Herter, four of 25 from three Harrison Barnes, five of 22, a combined nine of 47 uh, out of two of your best three point shooters. It's tough, man, because I, I mean, the thing, at least with Barnes, you know, you're getting quality defense out of him. So you can live with him. Not, you know, not, not shooting amazing from distance with Herter. You're not getting amazing defense out of him, but you know, where else do you turn? Um, you know, they're, they're already playing a lot of Davion Mitchell to deal with Steph Curry, who's again, not a great three point shooter. And they're already playing a lot of Malik Monk, um, and, you know, the really only other place you can turn is Terrence Davis, who has played 13 total minutes in the series. So you just got, I think you just got to rag it out with Herder. But yeah, they are, both those guys are killing the team. Yeah, this felt like a close to a must have for the Kings. Um, you know, I'd, series is not over by any means. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens here in game six. But I mean, Golden State's got to be feeling pretty good about its chances to close this out at home. They, they finally get that, that elusive road win. Uh, they're seven and a half point favorites for game six. And uh, what a game by Draymond, by the way. I mean, this was like his best, it felt like his best offensive game since like game seven of the 2016 finals. Uh, I mean, he's, he's eight of 10 from the field. Like he barely even takes 10 shots in a game these days. Uh, was still fantastic on defense, was super fired up, hit a corner three uh, late in this game that that really gave the Warriors a ton of energy. And uh, you mentioned Curry. I mean, not a great night from three, had some had some looks that were way, way off. I mean, a couple of air balls, had one that like went off the side of the backboard, um, just didn't really look like himself as a shooter, but he's gotten so good at kind of keeping defenders like kind of contacted on him, I guess I would put it. Like yes. his head is down. He's not even looking up. He's got that high dribble and then he can just kind of step back quick or change directions and give himself a little bit of space. I mean, two of 10 from three, uh, but he goes 10 of 15 from two point range. Yeah, Curry... I, I again, like I, I remain really fascinated by Curry's ability to get layups like he does because it feels like when he, so when he gets a blow by, it's a blow by, and then it's whatever. But when he, when he, he doesn't like try to force a blow by. If a guy is kind of on his hip, I like you said, he just basically like sticks his entire head in their chest and just like bear, just not barrels through them, but just, just like maintains contact with them, and then. I mean, I think what he's doing is he's preventing them from jumping because if someone's doing that to you, you can't really jump in the air. And then he just kind of, you know, he uses his body uh, as protection and he he flips it up with his right hand um, and gets a layup. But it's still, it's it's super impressive that, um, you know, he's able to do this in like, how old is he now? 35? Um, it's shocking. He He looks just as spry as he did like five years ago. Yeah, turned 35 uh, last month, March 14th was his birthday. Yeah, he, he looks fantastic. Um, you know, contrast that with LeBron James, who had, I, I would say, one of the three worst playoff games of his career last night. And look, I, I remain convinced that, that the foot is a major, major issue for LeBron. Uh, five of 17 from the field, 15 points. Uh, did get the 10 rebounds for the double-double, but had five turnovers. 
Uh, there was a play early in this game where LeBron kind of had a run out, uh, got an outlet pass. There was like a one-on-one going to the rim. One of those plays that usually results in LeBron like ending somebody's life with a dunk. And LeBron like kind of collected the ball and like fell to the ground on a fast break. And I was like, all right, I, I, I don't like this guy's not right. This does not happen uh, when LeBron James is at full strength. But uh, I, I thought he really killed the Lakers in this game. They, you know, they, they survived an early blitz from the Grizzlies. Uh, you know, Memphis went on this big run uh, at the end of the first quarter. They're up 38 to 24. LA battled all the way back. You know, they, they got a, a couple big shots from D'Angelo Russell, kind of similar to, to what happened in the previous game uh, to keep them in it. But LeBron just never found it. And I, I think what makes this doubly frustrating for the Lakers is they got a great game out of Anthony Davis, which you can't count on getting that again. It's like when, when Davis gives you 31 and 19, uh, you got to capitalize on that because you, you just know the, the five of 15 is coming the next game. Yeah. I think the, didn't the Lakers open the third quarter with like an eight Oh run. And I was like, Oh, here, wait, I think it was all Russell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you're right about Davis. He has a good game and you waste it. Are you, I know you're, <laughs> You're pretty far off the Lakers at this point. I mean, if oh, they yeah. get to the next round, I think you've said the you like the there's a good path to the Warriors here. But would you yes. consider betting the Grizzlies to win this series plus three forty for what it's worth? Yes, I was just going to say that. I said it on the XM okay. show earlier this morning too. I would absolutely bet Memphis plus three forty. I'm telling you, if if you've watched this series, LeBron does not look like LeBron, and I'm I'm not saying he's like moved into a different phase of his career. I, I think he's going to get surgery on his foot and he's going to be fine next year we've, we've kind of seen this routine now for like four or five years in a row uh he looked like a completely different guy two three months ago before that injury i mean he looked he looked awesome that version of lebron the lakers win this series in four or five games and maybe they go to the finals i, I believe that but lebron even in the games that they've won in this series he's not looked good he has not had a like whoa lebron's back type of game and I, I thought it was really strange that they they turned game four into this like monumental lebron 2020 game like LeBron looked horrible on offense for most of that game. Like, yes, he he deserves credit for he, – he saved the Lakers in overtime. I mean, that and one was massive. Uh, he, he saved what little energy he had for when he needed it. Like, I'm not, not trying to say it, it wasn't, like, a great effort. But anybody who watched that and was like, man, LeBron's the king. Who's beating these guys? Like, hell no, man. Like, I, I think the Grizzlies have a great chance to win this series. I would I – would, I would, plus 340 is uh, – I mean, if, if, if this goes to a game seven in Memphis, Memphis is, is winning that game. Yeah, that's how I feel as well. I can't say I'd like lock up that bet, but I think it's good value. And I'm with you on LeBron. Um, he, but we we can sit here and say maybe he's waiting to turn it on until he absolutely has to. But I feel like if he had turned it on, the series would have been over already. So, I, like, it's just, uh, yeah, and they. They couldn't get anything out of their bench in this game. You know, Hachimura didn't kick his his Hachimura didn't kick his eighteen points, uh, which is you know ultimately why they <laughs> Hachimura lost sunk the Lakers again. Uh, no, I mean you you are right. We've seen LeBron over the years when he's fully healthy, you know, ease his way into these series. Like you're, you're, there's been so many times where you're like, why are you not just like trying to step on their throats here? Like why are you letting them get get back into this game? Uh, so you're you're not wrong about that. But I I just I, I think this is a physical situation. I I think LeBron. I I think I, I think LeBron wanted to step on their throats yesterday and really for like one of the first times in his career, just couldn't do it. Um, you know, the other thing too, is I, I got to kind of add this up on the fly uh, after going one of nine last night from three LeBron for the series has gone one of nine, one of seven, Oh, of four, one of eight, three of eight from downtown. Oh. So he is three of 28 from three over the last four games. 
Three of twenty. Is he in? Is he in? For you, is he in like Giannis territory where it's like just stop, just stop taking it's Westbrook. Territory. Do anything else. Westbrook, Westbrook territory. Okay, he's playing. He's playing like Westbrook now. Like LeBron with an injured <laughs> foot is basically bigger than Russell Westbrook. <laughs> just, holy shit! That's Talk a games, no, that's not pretty. No, that's not a pretty. I need you. I need you on Get Up or whatever morning show these days. Being like, speak for LeBron, yourself. Who would you who would you take in a seven game series? This LeBron or mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook? Yeah. Um, last thing I have to say about this game. I mean, you mentioned Hatcher Murray was bad. He was a minus eighteen. Malik Beasley is not good. He is not good. He was a minus twenty three in eleven minutes. Uh, the like Beasley, Schroeder, Troy Brown lineup that was out there for a little bit got completely cooked. All three of those guys were at least minus twenty. Uh, Luke Kennard was a plus twenty six in eighteen minutes. He actually exited this game with a shoulder injury. Uh, and could end up missing uh, tomorrow's game six. So, yeah, Lakers are in big trouble. I, I'm really surprised that they're this heavily favored. I think that's just the Laker bias, um, the LeBron bias when it comes to the sports books. But, uh, I mean, they're only four and a half point favorites at home in game six, right? Like, how does that equal, uh, minus, like, what is it, plus 340 for Memphis on the series line? Like, it's not like the Lakers are 12 point favorites to, to close it out. I'm not sure. Um, do you want to Do you want to guess LeBron's personal net rating uh you know on off point differential yeah. in the playoffs this also includes playing by the way because i don't know why clean and glass does it this way but includes the play-in yeah it does oh um i mean it's definitely minus i will say he's minus 7.5 minus 38.8 per 100 possessions on off uh, yeah, Anthony Davis, you, man, he's been bad on defense too. Yeah, Anthony Davis, my uh, plus forty-two, Reeves plus yep. twenty-one, Hachimura plus twenty-one. Um, uh, yeah, Malik Beasley minus thirty-five. But um, yeah, I I agree with you, man. It does feel like it's it's LeBron. Just he he physically does not look right. There's only so many times we can say it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit of that. And I mean, the Lakers are, they still have that, uh, like, we're too cool to play defense thing. You know, it's like, yes, you see it. You see it with Xavier Tillman and, and David Roddy more than anybody. It's like, all right, Tillman gets the ball, like, at, at the elbow. And LeBron just kind of, like, lets him get to the rim and then plays for the block. And then Tillman just, you know, seals him and lays it in. And then Le- LeBron looks around, like, oh, I can't believe he made that. It's like, I, I don't know, just respect the opponent a little bit, like, play a little bit of defense. Um, and so, I mean, they just, they've been giving up so many easy baskets to bench players and, it's going to bite him, man. I'm telling you, I, if, I, I view this as close to a 50-50 series going forward. I really do. I, I think Memphis is going to bring it. The Lakers do not. like. It's kind of a nightmare situation for them to have to, have to play a team that that's intense, like the Grizzlies, a team that tries. Right. Like They don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 just, I don't see the Lakers bringing it. I, I think you know, they're one of those teams that start slow. They, you know, they're kind of front runners. Some, some, similar to Milwaukee in some ways. Like When things are good, things are really good. When things are bad, it's like, do you really trust them to, to climb their way back? I, with this version of LeBron, I don't. All right, I want to finish out with Finals MVP discussion. Uh, we'll check back in on these series next week. We'll do we'll do two episodes per week. That's the plan throughout the playoffs. Uh, but we have not really talked any Finals MVP right now. Jason Tatum is the heavy favorite, plus two forty to win Finals MVP, and of course, that's assuming that Boston makes it out of round one, uh, and you know, seemingly now has a, a pretty nice path back to the finals with Milwaukee out of the mix. Uh, after that, it's KD. Seven to one, Curry eight fifty, Embiid nine to one, Jokic nine fifty, Jalen Brown ten to one, Devin Booker ten to one, uh, and then you're getting into some more long shots after that. 
Yeah, I think I think Tatum plus two forty makes sense. I think they have the smoothest path uh, to the NBA Finals at this point. Um, you know, my my thought with these Finals MVP odds is I generally want to avoid teams that have two guys that I feel like could realistically win it. Like I don't I don't want to bet Durant at seven to one because I think Devin Booker could just as easily win at ten to one. Um, I don't necessarily feel the same about Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think it's conceivable that Jalen Brown has a better series than, than Tatum if it comes down to it. Um, but yeah, like Curry, maybe Clay wins it. I don't know, probably not. So I like the. I think the most decisive player you could potentially have would maybe be Jokic. But again, you never know. Jamal Murray could yep. step up. I, I would just be shocked if if it would be so much better than Jokic. Yeah, I think Jokic and Embiid are the are the two guys where it's like how how do how do the Nuggets win the finals with Jokic not being the best player? Uh, you know, like you said, there's right. a case, you can make a case for anybody. It's like I, I don't know, maybe you know, maybe the Knicks win the finals and Obi Toppin has a crazy series. <laughs> uh, but I mean, if, if if round one against the Clippers was the NBA Finals, Devin Booker would have won. He was the series yeah. MVP for the Suns, not not even close. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think Jalen Brown was better than Jason Tatum in the finals last year. Had the Celtics won, I think Jalen Brown would have won finals MVP, but there, there is something about Tatum and Durant, especially. And I, I think Curry's in that as well. Um, it's like you, 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 those guys almost have to lose finals MVP. Like they begin the series with a lead. A hundred percent. Yes. You, you get it. Uh, it's, it's yours to lose when you're the best player on the team for sure. Um, so I, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to say like Jalen Brown at 10 to one is a bad bet. And I'm not going to say Jason Tatum plus two forty is a bad bet, but, um, I think it's usually better to pick someone a little more decisive. But these are these are fun. I mean, do you I mean these Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals MVPs, these are like real awards now, right? So um yeah. do you have a stronger lean on on either of those? Well, first of all, I will say if you if you think the Warriors are winning the finals, bet Steph Curry to win the finals MVP at, at nine to one instead of the Warriors at seven to one. Uh, because there's a pretty slim chance I think that Steph yes. wouldn't win it. Um, yeah, I, I haven't really thought too much about the conference MVPs. I mean, it's kind of the same discussion in a lot of ways. I, I guess the the spot there where you could maybe find some value is if you think there's a team that can get through but then would lose in the finals. You're like, if you're really high on the Knicks, but then you think they run into Phoenix or they run into Denver, or they run into Golden State and they lose, like, I don't know, bet Julius Randle to, to be the Eastern Conference MVP or Jalen Brunson. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Butler. I don't know. Other other than that, it's, it's kind of just an extension of finals MVP. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right, man, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, just one game on the slate that is Boston and Atlanta game six. Uh, they had to move the Janet Jackson concert to tomorrow. So just a (laughs) heads up if you're listening and if you're planning on attending that, that will be Friday. Uh, you can hear us on the Roadwire NBA show on Sirius XM NBA channel 86. Uh, our show will be at 7.30 Eastern tonight as opposed to the usual 7 p.m. So we'll be on from 7.30 to 8 p.m. Eastern, I think, if I'm doing the time conversions correctly. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back Friday as well. We'll have two games, Sacramento and Golden State, uh, and then Memphis and L.A. Uh, as for the pod, we'll be back next week and looking forward to it.